Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a sports nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild, and I'm a competitive powerlifter. Hi, this is Dr. Mike Nelson, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flux Diet Cert, and faculty member of the Kerrigan Institute, and a bunch of other fun stuff. You know, we all do such a bunch of stuff. It's hard to actually condense who we are in a sentence yeah. you know because like, <laughs> you do as many yeah. and phil does at least as many things as you do all this sort of behind the scenes stuff that happens you know and i think that's kind of the nature of uh like the strength fitness world in a lot of ways you know you you almost have to do all these different things but yeah yeah <laughs> uh but podcasting is one of them and that's what we're going to talk about after the break everyone um we got a, a cool email from ben um, one of our listeners, and he was asking a little bit about podcasting. So we're going to talk about that. I, I guess we'll call it Podcasting Revisited because ages ago we did touch on this. But it, it, it's not lost on us, right, that a lot of new listeners come on board and they haven't listened to our entire backlog of, well, this is episode 484. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm kind of really gunning for that 500, you know, so we just so we can say we're in that that league, you know, but. Like I don't know if anybody in the fitness realm has been in that league. Well, there you go. Super heavyweight. We might be breaking. Yeah, we might be breaking new ground. Well, so. Phil, you are a heavyweight, but I've never been a heavyweight, so that's my chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we have a, a, our usual news and mail, and that's what we're going to start with before we talk about podcasting a little bit. Just, just in case some of you don't care what we do behind the scenes or how podcasting is done or, you know, some of that. Um. We'll talk about some of the, the news and whatnot. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Bill, I think what jumps to mind to me is most acutely and most specific to this podcast is the, the competitions and the strength stuff that you're okay. doing. Um, maybe you can fill us in because you were away last week, right? Yeah, well, and then I leave this morning for San Antonio, too. Oh, so, good heavens. Um, uh, yeah, last weekend was the inaugural uh, Topeka Strength Fest, and you know, like anything new, there was great things and things to learn from. But went off good. I mean, the number one things is it was the, the field was amazing. Um, we had the top five pros in the world there for Highland Games. Wow! All, all on one field. So, then um, we had a strongman competition going on. Lots of beer, food, things like that. Sweet. So, and the resounding theme was it went off really well. I mean, there's some things to fix, but, I mean, you would expect that in year one. Uh, Spencer Tyler, of course, came out and crushed things. So if anybody doesn't know Spencer, Spencer holds like five world records now. And he got – he was supposed to win the world championship this year, but he had like a parking ticket or something like that, and they wouldn't let him into Canada. <laughs> so oh he had God. to skip the worlds. Um, and, and Chuck, who was here also, won this year. But uh, Spencer came out and kind of uh, – Ran the day. He broke a world record in 
uh, broke his own world record in heavyweight for distance at like 52.8. So he threw a 56-pound weight, 52 feet and 8 inches. Um, And then broke an American record in Bramer Stone at 29. What was it? Uh, 48.3. So pretty much did a standing toss with a stone. Uh, they're, they're around 16 pounds for almost 50 feet. So, oh, um, and then Strengthfield sponsored a keg over bar with anybody could jump in. So we had probably, oh, I don't know, 15 people jump in along with the pros. And, uh, now you're good at that, keg- right? Aren't you good at keg over bar? Yeah, I was pretty good at it. I didn't jump in, I sat out. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't have beat him. So, <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, you know, that's it's fun for those. They were trying to get all the strong men to do it too. He's like, "Come on, let us make you look bad," because um, they're really they're really good at what they do, which is throwing things. Um, yeah. But Spencer cashed in on that too. Uh, what I think twenty twenty four feet with a keg over a bar. So, um, and the weird thing was watching them do sheaf. Like I think the current world record is like thirty eight. Six, we we brought in. We had to bring in special standards because we knew Spencer was coming, mm. and so we brought in forty foot standards. And on his early tosses, there's a guide wire at the very top uh, that hold the standards together. He was clearing the guide wire on the forty oh. foot standards, and but they don't count, so oh, <laughs> because they weren't God. at that height. Um, so they were going at like thirty. I don't know. They were they were like thirty four or something like this at this point. And he tossed it over the guide wire. Uh, so the potential is huge there for him to clear the 40-foot mark, and then they'll have to have 50-foot standards at some point, I suppose. So um, that was a good day. We had a uh, – it's hard to tell because we didn't have – we let it be – it was free to the public, um, so people just got to walk in. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to have an accurate attendance count. But my guess at any point in time, we had up to 2,000 people walking around. Oh, my goodness. Watching the various sports. Impressive. Yeah, because we had a big field just full of cars. So uh, um, it was good. We had a strong man going on out front, and then we had a real big building, that, and Highland Games was all behind that. So we had a building with some air conditioning. People get cooled off, and it worked out. I mean, the strong man kind of drew people in. Uh, we had it in the front parking lot. So, yeah, it was, it was a good day. But we will see more of those to come. I think we might uh, – we might move it. I don't know. I've already got another person lined up. We got another event lined up. Our beer sponsor. So we had a brewery that actually brewed us two beers for the event. Oh, that's great. Yeah, just for the event, and they did a Scottish ale and a, and another like almost a stout, but it wasn't a stout. Um, that was like twelve percent. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was pretty hefty. Um, but they want me to do an event at their brewery. So down here. So we'll look into that, and. uh it's always something going on, man. Yeah. So it's a whole new facet, that, you know, with the, with the alcohol and stuff, and the spectators having fun with it, you know. Yeah, well, in Highland Games, it's it's just different. It's like powerlifting. It's fun to watch if you're a competitor. Olympic lifting, it's fun to watch if you're a competitor. But Highland Games kind of grabs people in a little different way. I mean, it's relatable things. I think is one thing. I mean, they're throwing rocks, and yeah, of course the. The caber, everybody's like the telephone pull flip. Uh, it's just in, impressive, but uh, there's just some excitement going on there when people are throwing things and running around in kilts and drinking beer. So, and here in the Midwest, if you have beer, food, and athletics, it just works well. So, yeah, yeah for sure. 
It just sort yeah. of struck me that you said a brewery wanted you to do something like on their property. I mean, it just, yeah. you know, it really em- emphasizes that, I guess, you know. Well, yeah, and that's what we're trying to just do more team up things like that. It, you're seeing it with the successful events now. I mean, look at the Arnold, look at this and that. It's all, it's not just one thing going on. So, absolutely. What they're talking already is like a barbecue festival, a beer festival, and strongman type stuff at the same time. So, a, a little multi headed beast that draws many people in. So, yeah. uh, it works good for everybody that way. Then, you know, we all benefit off of each other. So, yeah. Even uh, bodybuilding is going that way a lot. Like you said, kind of following that Arnold Fitness Weekend model, you know. Yeah. Um, we yeah. had Chris Bongiovanni on a few times, a very clever lady, and, you know, advanced. It was the episode with Branch Warren as well because yeah. he's in on it with her. And yeah, yeah. and they're doing the same thing. They're making everything these kind of festival, you know, environments. So Yeah, it only makes sense. I mean, I'd love to see eventually we add in, like, weightlifting and maybe powerlifting um, to the Strength Fest, so... Um, we'll see. We got a lot to talk about and another year to plan it. But, sure. um, yep. yeah. And then, like I said, this morning I head down here in about an hour and 45 minutes. I jump in a car and drive to San Antonio. And, uh, one of my lifters is lifting tomorrow in the IPL tribute meet. So it's an invite only meet with oh. up to $150,000 in cash prizes. Wow. So Brian is going to be, Isn't it? I'm just going to call it now. And Brian is going to be the fifth man to ever deadlift and squat 900 pounds in the same meet. So, jeez, um, always. And potentially, we'll see how things go. We're talking about taking a shot at a thousand in sleeves. So on a squat. So he's a uh, he's a stud of a young man. So we'll see how uh, clearly see how this all pans out. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we we were trying to scour the internet and find out like just how many people have done nine hundred, nine hundred. And there's uh, like I said, so so far we found four. Mm-hmm. So of course Ed Cohen being one of those. He did yeah. it like he did it like 218 pounds, oh, but <laughs> right, right. I don't know if anybody's gonna ever top that one. But uh, yeah, busy, busy man. We're a uh, lot of things going on, a lot of excitement. So it's fun but draining to travel to to contests and whatnot. You know, like you're gonna be yeah. on the road. How, how long is that drive? That's pretty far. Uh, a little over 11 hours. Basically, oh. I'm gonna be on the road. I'll be on the road 11 hours. I'll be in San Antonio for about 12 hours, and then back on the road for 11 hours. Ooh, so, just brutal. <laughs> 22 hours on the road and 12 hours I've had a meet. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting. But, yeah, I get a month off after this, so that's good before my next competition. The next one's close, and then then we're getting into the season when all the world championships happen and stuff like that. So I'll be traveling again to Vegas for world championships and, cool. and such. It's the crazy life we choose, though. I mean... I need to quit making people so strong, and I won't have to travel so much. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. <laughs> You're damn good at your job, Phil. Yeah, I try it. I try. So I'm lucky that I get to work with uh, just talented people that are driven. So, yep. Yeah, that's really that's really the big part of it. So, and it's always an education for me because you're sort of on the cusp of a lot of this stuff, you know. And I don't really. I live under an academic rock a lot of the time, and I don't know what's happening with the strongest guys. Like you're saying, how many people can, you know, squat and pull 900 in the same meet and and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I really thought it was going to be more than that when we started looking it up. Yeah, you know, I thought we might be in at least 10 people or something, but I mean, there's a lot of people that have done 900 in both lifts, and in either or lift, but not a lot of them who have put it together on the mm-hmm. platform the same day. Which I mean makes sense. I mean, it's real yeah. hard to. 
it's you know it's a lot harder to deadlift 900 after you squatted 900 absolutely <laughs> so yes and that's you know now we're starting to look at you know is a thousand and a thousand possible and i don't know i mean nobody's ever pulled a thousand in in a full meet but is it possible yeah i think it potentially could be you know so wow yeah i was just thinking of that all the deadlifts i've seen over a thousand were kind of just a specialty kind of yep. one-off type thing right i don't know any of them that are in a full meet no, and you think at some point, like if I was yeah. one of those guys, I would be like, I'm going to go in and do a token squat, yeah, and do a token bench and pull just to say I was the first one to do it in the full meet. <laughs> yeah, all oh, right. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, kind of. I mean, for one of, for one of those guys, you could just come in and like squat seven. You know, it'd be yeah. easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Phil, uh, how often are specialists at work like that? Now, I mean, are there? one lift only events that are very popular or are people expecting you to be, you know, kind of man up or woman up and just, you know, seriously compete in all of them to make that kind of claim. Does that make yeah, sense? All the, yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, all the like thousand poles have been at big deals where it's like, that's the purpose of the event to break yeah. that record. So, and yeah. so it makes sense. They like Eddie Hall and things like that. Yeah. They come in just to break the whole, the whole idea of it is to break the deadlift record. So, yeah. Um, It'll be a, it'll be pretty amazing though if somebody can pull that off. And who knows? I mean, Brian, right now, from what I see, the only thing holding Brian back from pulling a thousand is his hands. Um, he trained bodybuilding for so many years before he got with me, and he always used straps. So, mm-hmm. um, he's pulled nine hundred beltless with straps, like super easy. So, I mean, it's just. Uh, at this point, it's getting his mitts able to hang on. And other than that, I mean, yeah. and then his mind. I mean, that's we were talking about this the other day. He's a very calm lifter. Um, he doesn't get excited. Even the 903 that we posted up, he's kind of like, oh, he's joking around, talking to people. And then he turns around, puts on his back, sits down, stands up, and then laughs and talks to people again. My God. <laughs> we're kind of, uh, we're wondering when Brian's going to like, and what will happen if we get some adrenaline going. Like, Brian smash! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. Or if mess out. with him. Yeah, yeah I wonder if we don't, yeah. we don't know at this point. So, I mean, we've never really uncorked uh, a, a squad in a meet. All of them have been easy, even over 900. So, I mean, this might be the day. We're going to see how things go. We're going to open at 903 on squat. Um, that'll be our opener and then Insane. call it from there. And if things are looking good, you know, there's that other club to join, which would be the the very few people who have squatted 1,000 in sleeves. So, yeah. so uh, e- either one, if we can walk away with either one of those, it'd be great. I mean, my eye is on that 900, 900, just because that's a very select group. Um, and you start putting yourself in that group and you're somebody. Oh. Yeah. But. To me, it's almost analogous. Like, you know, there used to be in old school bodybuilding, there were, you know, Platts was about his legs, you know, no, yeah. no, make no mistake. I thought he was awesome all over, but, and you know, there was these kind of specialist guys as opposed to like these you know, they used to say complete package. And to me, this is analogous with that, right? If you can pull and squat 900 or God, even a thousand pounds, that's the total package, you know, like, yeah. And that's what, I mean, if, if Brian has a weak link right now, it's his bench a little bit, but there's not a lot of guys out there. Most of them are either good at squat or good at deadlift. Yeah. Like JP's pulling squatting over a thousand, but he's pulling in the high sevens. You know? mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're ripping nine and nine, that's that can make up for a little bit of bench loss, you know. So yeah, uh, we'll see. And I mean, 
just gives us one thing to concentrate on at least, you know, bring the deadlift out or the bench up. And you know, when I say bad at bench, it's like <laughs> potentially benching in the high fives. <laughs> so, so, I, I mean, know, it's right? Not, it's not, <laughs> not horrible. But, uh, so, yeah. Oh, good stuff. All right. Um, let's, we're going to switch gears just a little. Um, you know, meet head to egghead and back again kind of thing. That's what we do. Uh, I have two pieces of news, a little bit of mail, and then, of course, we'll go to break. Um, the first piece of uh, science news is from Matt uh, through Facebook, so thank you, Matt. Um, it's about Viagra. Um, this is not a brand-new study. It's uh, Clinical Translational Research 2013, but it's entitled Sildenafil. Vi- Viagra, right, increases muscle protein synthesis and reduces muscle fatigue. Uh, the first author is Sheffield Moore from Department of Internal Medicine uh, at University of Texas Medical uh, Branch, it says. So here's the bottom line. If you, you look at the abstract a little, uh, reductions in skeletal muscle function occur in the course of healthy aging, as well as with bed rest and several different, of course, muscle wasting diseases. Um, nitric oxide, and we know this from years of supplements exaggerating the effects of this, but nitric oxide may influence skeletal muscle function through effects on excitation contraction coupling, myofibrillar function, perfusion, and metabolism. Here we show that augmentation of NO signaling by short-term daily administration of sildenafil increases protein synthesis and reduces fatigue in human skeletal muscle. So this is, to me, there's a couple of things that work behind the scenes. One is, Bill, I think a year or more ago, you were talking about some of your athletes were using Cialis, or or you had heard of that being used just to get, you know, more blood flow. And so they're using a lot of these erectile dysfunction drugs for muscle perfusion reasons. Mm -hmm. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this, the mechanism here is that it inhibits an enzyme called phosphodiesterase 5. There's different PDE enzymes. Um, and honestly, this is partly how some of the, like the, the old ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin stack would work and it, inhibiting different phosphodiesterase en- enzymes. But this is PDE 5, and apparently that's how this works. So it says... Phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors augment some responses to NO by inhibiting the breakdown, right, the degradation of cyclic GMP in cells. And so when they treat um, mouse models, mice with muscular dystrophy with these PDE5 inhibitors, uh, it reduces the muscle fibrosis and it increases in vitro force production of their muscles. Uh, So, and then they just go on to say that we administered the PDE5 inhibitor sildenafil, that is Viagra, to generally healthy males. So this isn't just, they're pointing to mouse research, but then this, the study's actually with men, you know, healthy guys. Um, So I think that's very interesting because there must be something through this enzyme inhibition because the blood flow alone, Mike, you and I saw this at an experimental biology meeting years ago, that they were opening up vascular beds um, with sodium nitroprusside. I mean, this will open up your vascular beds to the point you're probably lightheaded, you know, <laughs> and because, you know, your blood pressure would actually might actually fall a little when you open up because usually what capillary beds, I've seen different estimates, estimate, maybe they're 50% open at rest. And, you know, of course, then they open up with blood flow during intense exercise, you get a pump and 
but but the vasodilation by itself, when it wasn't accompanied by insulin and amino acids and other things, it didn't do anything to protein synthesis. Um, am I right in, in saying that, Mike? Is that what you remember? Yeah, yeah. Because of all the blood flow agents in the bodybuilding world, there. You know, one of the theories was if you get more blood flow, you're going to increase you know muscle protein synthesis, and that doesn't appear to be the case. Yep. But at least with um, the Viagra. Because, you know, it jumps to mind. Obviously, that's going to increase blood flow um, to various parts of the body. Um, but something about this phosphodiesterase 5 inhibition uh, may be at work. So maybe that's not just through a um, vascular or vasodilatory mechanism, but there may be something going on inside cells. Because this literally is entitled Increases Muscle Protein Synthesis right in men, in young men, uh, and reduces muscle fatigue. So um, it's funny how athletes get on this stuff so quickly. This is the first time, actually, Matt, that I've, I've seen this with Viagra. Like I said, I had heard about the Cialis thing before because of Phil, you know. But um, so interesting stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's, that's very interesting. Hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't be opposed to giving something like that a, a shot. I don't know. The, the side effects could be <laughs> unsettling. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know. At least, you know, discussing that, studying it up a little bit. So, neat stuff. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. One quick comment on that. I know for a while, like, pomegranate juice was used and extracts of that in pre-workouts because there was some early data. Like, one of them was from the review in urology from, like, 2008 that it may be a, a natural, you know, PDE5 inhibitor, but that's never really panned out from what I've seen. So, the supplement industry has always been trying to find some type of natural regulation along that pathway too but i haven't heard of anything that's like super effective so far other than maybe some of the old nitrites nitrates that type of thing but those have gone away for now yeah even ginkgo right for peripheral yeah. blood flow there's a Rebirth. lot of yeah abstracts that i've looked at in studies on ginkgo increasing peripheral blood flow or even brain blood flow like significantly yeah. But yeah, brain blood flow, that one may actually have some some benefit. Vimpocetine's the other one that's normally used too, but yep, yeah. Yep, Vimpocetine, yeah. Uh, so yeah, interesting stuff uh, with some of that. And you know, people who are interested in blood flow um, as potentially helpful, if not for, for a growth, at least for you know fatigue or performance, uh, I've even seen some very interesting stuff about how obviously your blood thickness and very high testosterone men can have very high hematocrits and that kind of thing. And um, donating blood and bringing down your hematocrit, right, the thickness of your blood just a little, can actually enhance brain blood flow, maybe peripheral blood flow. That makes sense to me, right, because capillaries are so tiny, sometimes a single red blood cell is, you know, going through there. Um, So, I don't know, maybe even just um, staying hydrated, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, Mike, you and I always talk about how insulin is vasodilatory. So, I mean, you know, my old thing, trick is always eat a banana and have... 30 or 40 grams of whey protein an hour before the gym, you'll probably get a better pump, you know, at least a little. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my go-to. I'll use Vitargo or other highly absorbed carbohydrates, but same idea, right? You're trying to bump insulin up. Maybe you get some local vasodilation effect. You're pushing your body to use more carbs. You've got a little bit more fuel, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I say banana- bananas aren't super high glycemic index. They're not ultra like uber fast acting but yeah. you know you could do a brown skin white potato white rice any of that kind of stuff get yourself like a 
it might be fun to play with if you're healthy. I don't see this being harmful in any way. You know, get like a hundred grams of high glycemic carbs in you, um, along with yeah, some fast acting protein like whey. It's got to do something probably. Yeah, for larger lifters, I'll have them even start at eighty grams. That's that seems to work pretty good. Yep, yep. I know some of that early stuff with uh, how carbs could enhance creatine deposition in muscle. That was up around a hundred grams, and you know they were speculating is that even realistic? Honestly, for a lot of our lift listeners, you're talking about two and a half servings of pasta kind of you yeah. know, amount. That's not that that big a deal to someone who's 290 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, the next bit of science this is the only other science bit I have. Uh, I actually tabled a, a few. I have all these newspaper ones that some of my colleagues keep giving me, but uh, this one is in order. So it's about CRISPR and a lot of our listeners are familiar, but CRISPR is that gene editing technique, right? CRISPR-Cas9 and how it's it's really going to change a lot of things, you know, because it makes gene editing, it makes changes to your DNA or to a plant or a food item's DNA uh, as it's being grown or before it's grown, um, easy, cheap, fast, you know. And I'm waiting to see this trickle into performance-enhancing drugs, right? Already WADA World Anti-Doping Agency, they have an annual meeting to discuss gene doping, and this is the kind of thing that makes that all the more likely to come down the pike, right? Because you no longer have to have an incredibly expensive, sophisticated process in order to insert a gene. And uh, we could probably all think of certain genes that could be very interesting, but of course you're playing with fire, and that's why people are concerned. This is about food. So this is from, from Ellen Galloway here through nature.com so this appeared in nature uh, 560 number 16 this year CRISPR plants are now subject to tough GM laws in the EU so this mm. is partly for our European European Union uh, listeners it says top courts ruling threatens research on gene edited crops um, gene edited crops should be subject to the same stringent regulations as conventional genetically modified organisms Europe's highest court ruled uh, in July. The decision was handed down. It's a major setback for proponents of gene-edited crops, including many scientists. So I think it's worth noting that this is something where the, the lay public and scientists differ quite a bit. Like, most scientists are not afraid of GMO, right? And there's those labels on a lot of foods, you know, that, that oh, it's not GMO. And it... it it gets some traction with consumers, but scientists are often rolling their eyes. Um, anyway, it says, uh, this is an important judgment. It's a very rigid judgment, says Kai Pernhagen, a university legal scholar uh, in the Netherlands. Quote, it means for all new inventions, such as CRISPR-Cas9 food, you would need to go through a lengthy approval process of the European Union. That is likely to hinder investment in crop research using these tools in the EU. And then it goes on to say, the ruling is tremendously disappointing, says Nigel Halford, a crop geneticist at Rothamsted Research in Harpenden, UK. Although he says gene editing techniques will still be used in research. But there's there's more to this story. So um, Other groups, of course, applauded the court's decision to really be cautious and make this a slow process and, and that kind of thing. Now, if you get down to the DNA changes level, it says here... Um, the 2001 EU directive behind the, the decision concerns the intentional release of genetically modified organisms into the environment 
uh, and it was aimed at species into which entire genes, that is, long stretches of DNA, had been inserted. Um, but the law exempted organisms whose genomes were modified uh, with techniques like irradiation. That's the kind of thing that could inter- introduce changes into the organism's DNA, but wouldn't add you know, foreign genetic material uh, and things like that. So they're trying to tease apart. Is CRISPR, is it a big deal, or is it one of these more minor editing te- techniques? And the new decision says, no, it, they're going to consider it major as if you're inserting large amounts of really you know, foreign genetic material that arguably shouldn't be there in nature. Um, So some of the issues with this, and again, this is about about food and what's coming down the pike. So a lot of our listeners probably realize, but a large percentage of the corn we eat, for example, in the U.S. is already GMO corn. It's already genetically modified. Um, But anyway, it says no incentive. This will have a chilling effect on research in the same way that GMO legislation had a chilling effect for 15 years now. Uh, says Stefan Jansen, a plant physiologist at Umea University in Sweden. And I'm probably trashing that name, but... Funding to develop them could dry up. If we cannot produce things that society finds helpful, uh, then we will be less likely to be funded. Um, And then he goes on. It's just interesting. Jansen has also practical concerns with the ruling. He developed CRISPR cabbage, quote-unquote, that he has consumed himself and even has growing in his home garden... And as he spoke to nature, he said, quote, I took a photo yesterday, and I took another photo after the ruling. It's still the same plant. And that's, isn't that interesting, right? I mean, the legalities come and go, but it is what it is, you know. So it's no more dangerous today than it was yesterday kind of thing. Uh, he says, yesterday it wasn't a GMO. Today it is a GMO. And I'm a bit curious uh, what I have to do. Do I have to remove it? You know, like from my little home garden kind of thing. So uh, a lot of controversy about gene edited foods. Uh, I guess I'll just toss out there to listeners. If you're interested, you know, fire us an email through ironradio.org. You know, let us know what your thoughts on GMO foods. Um, I am not particularly concerned with this. Uh, I can see how people could be with either health or sometimes it could just be you're bumping another species out of a niche, you know, or there could be unforeseen cross-pollination, if you will, in society or some kind of butterfly effect when you start doing this by, you know, genetically modifying food. But there's also some very good things that can come from this, not just resistance to, like, insect damage. Uh, And remember that you might think, oh, insecticide, that's bad, Lonnie. Well, kind of, except you're not applying insecticides. You know, they've genetically modified coffee, for example, not to express caffeine. Well, that sounds terrible <laughs> to me. Yeah, a horrible idea. <laughs> but but, but it's, it would be better than the way they do decaf now, but like the Swiss method and all this kind of stuff. You know, like it's almost pre-rinsed, pre-brewed in a way to get the caffeine out. And it might be better to have fresh coffee beans that taste exactly like real coffee and just don't have caffeine. You know, or sometimes they'll modify... Uh, plants that, to express like uh, vitamin A, right? So children in developing countries don't go blind. You know, I mean, so it's you got to be careful not to quickly judge this. It's a touchy issue. So in the fitness world, I, I'm guessing a lot of people are probably they're going to err more on the side of quote unquote natural. But I give a whole lecture in, in a class about natural quote unquote, right? I mean, poison ivy is natural. Would you eat a poison ivy salad? No, no, you wouldn't. 
You know, so the FDA actually had to issue a press release years ago about that. Like, natural does not automatically equal good, and synthetic, or in this case, modified, does not automatically equal bad. So you have to be careful with this, but there's a lot of controversy. Right. So, um, Mike, are you up on any of the GMO stuff? Um, not a lot. I mean, I, I looked into it a couple of years ago, and... I just left more confused than when I started after a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, well, I think with the CRISPR technology, I think the downside, or you could see it's an upside, depending on how you look at it, is that it makes very hyper-specific gene editing now pretty possible for a lot of people that in the past was left to pretty high-end labs, and even then their failure rate was really high. Mm-hmm. And... and we were at Experimental Biology a couple of years ago, man, probably maybe five years ago now, when Monsanto was presenting a thing with broccoli yep. that they were trying to not have any GMOs per se, but they're trying to do different sort of what they called selective breeding and all this other stuff to increase you know, colors or polyphenols or sulforaphane, but then they could claim that it was not a GMO because the public perception of GMOs was so bad, but yet... What they were doing, is it really all that different? Uh, I don't know. I mean, and then I think the environmental stuff, the little bit I know on there, probably scares me more than anything else. Just because any, I don't know, it just seems like any time we try to muck around with that, we can, we just don't have the capability of seeing what all the downstream consequences are. Like when they did the modified genetic uh, salmon, they said they have to only be in a certain area and they have to be in this tank out in the middle of nowhere because they were afraid that they right. wanted to go you know, breed with the other population of salmon. And like, wow, you have to go through all that much effort. I don't know. It just makes me a little nervous. And then you go even further and go, well, the U.S. especially has very much of a mono-agriculture society. You know, we only have like a couple types of corn. We only import one type of bananas. So if we went to more variety, I think that would probably be beneficial on a whole bunch of different areas. But that's a massive change compared to where we're at now, too. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so, Phil, because you got your you know finger on the pulse of a lot of strength athletes and even high-end guys, and is there any concern about genetically modified foods, you know, crops, salmon, anything like Or do they not even really discuss it? Yeah, there's two sects of people. There's the ones that are really worried about it, and the ones that are like, "I don't care, give me some food." Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, I'm I'm on the. We eat a lot of organic and this and that, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, give me my beef with lots of extra hormones. I don't care. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um. So. I get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's two different camps. I mean, and they're they're usually both. Uh, pretty opinionated. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. For what it's worth, the the feds. I looked into this last year. Uh, I think it's a pretty rational approach. It's not alarmist. Um, they're not like automatically just like uh, irrationally afraid of genetically modified stuff. They're basically saying we're going to treat GMO foods, and again, this is U.S. stuff, but we're going to treat them almost like any other food on safety and effectiveness. And to me, that makes sense in a lot of ways. Right. Like. If, it, if you feed it to somebody and they don't have any kind of toxicology, you know, driven, like, response, if it yeah. doesn't show up any problems, then we're going to treat it like any other food. If it's safe and effective, and whether we bred it, 
you know, through natural means or we did it in a dish, we're just going to use the same standards. I mean, that's my understanding of that whole process right now. And to me, that seems pretty logical, right? If you can prove to me this food is safe, um, I don't care if it was genetically modified through selective breeding or in a dish, right? Um, That's me personally. But, um, yeah. So. Or you have the whole lab-grown meat, right? Yeah, that was their that If we can prove by the current legislation it's safe and effective, we don't, like you said, don't really care where it came from. So we could grow it in a petri dish and all these different scaffolds and all this stuff. And if we can show that it passes that test, then we're good to go. And that's been all the indications so far. Right, and we don't. We yeah. get broadcast on that before. In fact, yeah. I'm holding in my hand right now, um, 2018. It, it, they're at it again. The, in Food Technology Magazine, it's sort of a journal slash magazine, uh, the cover says mimicking meat. And they show mm-hmm. little burger patties in a pea pod here, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, if, if, there, if you, I have, I have no problem at all with lab-grown meat. Bring it. If you can make that cheap yeah. and sustainable, you could probably save a lot of um, lives and money. And, you know, because I, yeah. we've said this before. I remember even Anthony Bourdain used to talk about this, like – Expensive beef is even in the states where we're so spoiled, it's going to go away. In a, when yeah. you look across decades, it's going to become you know harder and harder to supply enough you know beef for everyone. And so growing it, yeah, I mean it's real muscle tissue, it's real meat for the most part. Um, yeah. To me, that's that's actually at least taste wise, culinary wise, that's way more acceptable than uh, trying to do exactly the same thing with with pea protein or something like that. I just feel like that's yeah. reaching a little, you know. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, food technologists are a clever bunch. So, yeah, so I'm holding that in my hand, Mike, right now. Mimicking meat. So you're right. That's going to be something that just doesn't go away. Yeah. You know. Well, look at how long the tofurkey's been around. That's sort of mimicking meat in a poor way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you, you look at foods in general, and the ones we eat now, they aren't what originally happened. Oh, I mean, like, no. Like I was talking about, a lot of it is selective breeding. I mean, bananas aren't what they used to be. No. Almonds, almonds aren't what they were originally. <laughs> right, yep. So there's been a lot of this over the years. But, yeah, um, look at an apple just, tree. That does, has now been it's sprayed. how you change it is what's different. So That's right. It's how, how they're changing it, exactly. I mean, when I drive to work, I mean, a lot of our listeners, if you live in the in the Midwest or you live around uh, in the States here, or you live around cornfields in general, corn is grown. Those stalks are like two inches apart. It's ridiculous. You know, it looks like a, a hairbrush. You know, corn does not grow like that, right? But if I was a farmer, hell yes, I would want to grow corn like that. I get way more yield per acre. You know what I mean? But to your point, Phil, yeah, that, that's that's not naturally how corn grew, you know. And apples don't grow on trees the size of softballs, and so, yeah. yeah, this stuff. A lot of what we eat, I don't. I don't think the answer is, you know, like um, rejecting science and technology. I'm glad that there are some laws, you know, and regulations behind it. But I, I tend to agree with what at least what like the FDA is doing here in the states. It's like let's just do this on a case by case basis. If you can demonstrate the safety, you know, um, we're going to treat it like any other food because to your point phil it's just about how it's done really but make no mistake almost nothing we eat is in its natural state from like a paleo kind of yes you know thinking so i think if people enjoy the taste they'll find some way to rationally justify it so you look at like a honey crisp apple 
that apple didn't exist a couple of decades ago. It was basically made from my understanding, selective breeding and things of that, and it was probably the most successful quote unquote apple that's ever been made. Yeah. But people like it. It's got good texture. It's got good properties. And they don't seem to be too worried about how it got there. Yeah. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson does a great thing in the Cosmos, the the new the reboot of Cosmos. He talks about dogs. Like if you don't like selective breeding, uh, dogs are selective breeding, right? They are yeah. artificial selection. That's what dogs are from wolves, right? Think about yeah. the amazing spectrum of dogs, from little yip yip dogs, lap dogs to mastiffs you know walking around the corner of phil's gym <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yep. um so dogs are good <laughs> just saying yeah. yeah and that was in a very short period of time very exactly short. exactly my point right artificially selective yep. over just you know a very short period of time uh just a matter of a few hundred years maybe a few thousand years yeah they used to all be wolves which were much more yeah. you know monochromic if you will you know in nature so all right uh, let's let's get to some of the the mail uh just read a few things here um this first one is from joe he says uh hi there long time iron radio listener here i owe you guys a ton for all the work that you put in over the years other podcasts have come and gone while you guys haven't missed a single week in years and then he talks about the coffee study that i'm i'm booting up this fall so Thank you, Joe. That's something that um, I think we take pride in. We were talking mm-hmm. uh, just this morning about that, right? That um, we're we're gunning for that 500 episodes, and I don't know if anybody else is in that category. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Considering when did we start, Lonnie? You started what eight and a half years ago now? Um, in January of 2019, it that'll be ten. Ten. ten okay. Jeez. Yeah. So. yeah. And if you think all the changes, yeah, you know, we should almost do a retrospective on that 10-year thing. I mean, Phil was competing, and then we were talking about this just last week, and then kind of got away with it. You're trying to adjust into more of a coaching-only status, and then, no, you got the itch. You're back to competing. You know, in those middle years, I did my last run of competitions and all the weirdness that I saw in that stuff. And, uh, yeah, there's been a lot happen in 10 years. You know, I've worked. A lot of surgeries. (laughs) <laughs> surgeries yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right yeah okay um the next one is matt he says uh hi i've enjoyed your podcast for a couple years now and then he talks about the coffee project a little but then he says by the way let me commend you for the quality of your show it's the perfect combination of data driven advice and bullshitting with your buddies keep up the great work um, and then he says, one question, what's that guitar line between segments? It sounds like something from the of our intro of a slow Metallica song. Um, Matt, the the music we do at the beginning, that's Phil's brother, right? That's yep. the Phil's brother's yep. band. Um, the slow guitar, that's just a Sony-provided loop. Uh, like I have a CD that I get. I use Sony Acid software to edit the podcast and if I need something, I usually I usually reach for a, a loop that's more about guitar with you know some kind of uh, guitar, and I like that Metallica esque kind of sound, and that's just one of the loops from Sony. You know, there's so much obnoxious like techno kind of stuff. I mean, I, I watch the news sometimes, and I'm not anti techno music or dubstep or whatever. I mean, people put in whatever they want, but I would think you know a lot of our lift, lifters maybe a little more metal oriented, and I like that stuff. So we all like that stuff. So that's kind of where that's from. Anyway, so thank you, Matt. 
the last one uh, is going to set us up for our topic because we're going to go to break right after this. But Bronson, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, this is one even before we get set up here. Uh, Bronson says, I'm interested in receiving more info on the Functional Coffee Project. But he says, let's see, he goes on, as an avid coffee lover and a kinesiology major, interested in strength conditioning, someone that loves strength training, um, you know, the ad in the Iron Radio podcast piqued my interest. On another note, and this is why I'm bringing this up, uh, Bronson, uh, I'd like to take the time to thank you and the Iron Radio crew uh, for the vast knowledge that you all provide. On top of the classes I'm taking as an undergrad, I've grown to appreciate the base of knowledge that I've been developing largely thanks to you guys. Your efforts are certainly invaluable. And that's Bronson from DePaul University. He's a underclassman. So, cool. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now, uh, we had a brief exchange, and Ben doesn't know I'm going to do this, so I'm not going to use his last name or anything, but he offered a question about podcasting. So he says, um, hey, guys, Ben here again, big fan. Uh, you answered my questions on air before, something I always enjoy and I play for my wife. I wanted to ask you how you produce your podcast or if there's a, uh, a who who produces your podcast. Uh, and then he says, could, could you put me in touch with whoever is responsible for the microphoning, mixing, recording, imagery, etc. of the podcast? Uh, he owns and operates a couple of bars uh, in the Brooklyn area. I won't go on too much about this because I want to keep it anonymous. But um, at any rate, I thought asking the people who have inspired me would be a great place to start. So that's going to trigger our topic today, Ben. So thank you for that. Uh, we're just going to talk about the state of podcasting a little bit with, with some behind-the-scenes tips on how we do it because it seems like everybody has a podcast now. So we'll do that after the break. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. 
Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everyone, we are back, and we're going to talk about podcasting just a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, I'm going to start with some basic questions, though. Uh, in fact, we have Chris Shugart's going to come on in a couple of weeks here and talk about his plans for podcasting through tnation.com, and he's going to do that with his, his wife, Danny, and whatnot. It should be interesting. Um, but, Phil, we'll start with you. Uh, some benefits, like pros and cons of podcasting. Like, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, yeah. You're not doing it just as a, a, a favor just to your gym or, of you know, we're not I doing am. this favor this to each other. All- <laughs> This is all for you guys. It's all for the public. No, <laughs> um, my people. <laughs> yeah, your people. Uh, it's yeah. It's the cross I bear. Um, no, I mean I think it's 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 like we talked about. You know, people can ask you to write an article on something that you're uh, familiar with, well, well written on, uh, read on. But uh, it, it's easier to come in here and shoot the shit. You know, a lot of times if we do that once a week, you'll get out more information. And a lot of times we get out the information in a, a more usable way, in my opinion. Um, we're able to flesh it out a little more. So talking it between the three of us or the four of us, whoever we have on the show. So you get out, uh, I think, a lot higher quality information in a more entertaining format. So um, it's my way now. I just quit writing for other people. I'll write for my own site. Um, it's, it's my way now of staying out there besides what I got going on here locally. So, yep, yep. Uh, you mentioned having guests on and whatnot. Uh, here's a practical tip. If you want to start a podcast, it's usually good to have two or three co-hosts. And then when you have a guest on, there's not too many cooks spoiling the broth, right? It's really hard not to talk over each other sometimes. And we, we're all in sort of a rhythm with this. So we don't do it as much. But make no mistake, we do do that. And then oh. I, I edit it out <laughs> uh, yeah. if, if there's too much of it and it sounds confusing. So I usually spend an hour, hour and a half sometimes, you know, because I'm a perfectionist. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, editing some of that kind of stuff out. But uh, I think also the ease of what you're talking about, just shooting the shit, um, a lot of people, their podcast or their YouTube channels, they pod fade within a matter of literally six or seven episodes because yes. their production values are too high. Now, you might say, how is that yeah. bad? Listen, you have to consider time as a resource, like money, right? Mm-hmm. We None of us have the time to sit down and make these gorgeous you know, video overlays and this and that. And we, um, you know, I've got a, a fairly small mixing board here. We record. Uh, I use, again, Sony Acid software. We do it through Skype. Uh, but it has to be 
minimal time investment or it wouldn't come out every week. That's how we do it. I know we don't have the highest production values compared to some of the professional ones, but we don't have that who that Ben was talking about, that that third party who's going to do the editing and the mixing and make it all fantastic. We don't have a studio. You know, we sit here in our sometimes in our pajamas in the morning slurping coffee, but that's exactly why we haven't missed a week in almost 10 freaking years. Yeah, we're going on a decade. And some of our early, early episodes, what did we talk about? You don't get a voice until you're doing this a decade. And we've been doing just this a decade. That's right. Yeah, just Uh, a podcast. And every week. I mean, I remember sitting down with you going on 10 years ago, and that was one of the things we agreed on. Consistency. Yep, yep. We have to show up every week. You know, We need to put out something. Um, And even if it's short, we've cut some episodes short, of course. Yep. Um, But it's something out there. So, and that's a big thing. That's the thing that gets these podcasts to end is they'll, they'll be consistent for, like you said, six, seven episodes. And then it's like, oh, we missed one. And then it's really, once you miss one, <laughs> once you miss one, it's like, it's really easy to miss two or three or four. Yeah. So like workouts, you know, for people who are yeah. trying to get into it, you skip yep. a few and then before you realize that you haven't been in the gym in weeks, you know, or who knows. So and then it's like, remember that podcast we did four years ago? <laughs> oh, and some of them try to, they try to resurrect stuff. Like it'll come out like every third month or, you know, every couple of months. And I mean, if you have the right, like, uh, syndication software, what used to be called Podcatcher, right? If you, as long as you stay subscribed and you remind your system, yeah, I still want to be subscribed. Yeah. Some, I actually, in other genres, I know some podcasts, they'll come out sporadically every third month. Maybe they'll go to a six month stretch. But to me, I don't know. It's like watching the evening news. You're not going to watch MSNBC or Fox or any of these. They're going to come out. One thing you can bank on, whether they're talking about what you like or not, is that they're there. They're there for you. That's the professional burden. And when we did sit down and talk about that all those years ago, I I was thinking about um, there's a huge – movement a lot of people know like the popularity of stuff like comic con and this and that but and video games and there's um a huge uh in fact it's bloomed into multiple like east coast west coast is called pax uh penny arcade expo it's this huge like video game and and tabletop game and it's, it's a different genre right totally different but that started with a web comic and you're like how on earth because these guys are multi-millionaires you know literally tens of thousands of people show up at these events and it's, he said, we came out every week. They said, what set you apart, even as your webcomic, and how were you able to build on it? He said, because we're here every week. We agreed consistency every single week, no matter what. And I thought, yep. Phil and I were thinking, that that makes sense, right? Yep. If, if, if you drive to work on Monday and Iron Radio isn't there, and it might not be there for a couple of months, what good are we, in a sense? Yeah. You know, so. Um, all right. All uh, right. I know you got a jet, Phil, because of your yep. travel, but quickly, um, any advice you would have? Like, what would you suggest to someone who is thinking about doing their own podcast, whether it's fitness or otherwise? Well, I think one thing we do is we, we, we identified our genre, which is strength and fitness, and then we got varied people uh, that have different backgrounds in that. You know, we're, I don't have to be the jack of all trades. You know, I know some things about nutrition and things like that, but why would I talk about when I can just shut up and let you guys talk about it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. So we have varied hosts and varied guests that, that are able to cover the topic thoroughly and uh, with education. 
So I would do the same thing in your if if you got three people speaking exactly the same thing from the same background, it would get kind of boring. Um, we were varied enough. Our interests are are a lot the same, but our backgrounds are varied enough that we give multiple views on the same topic. So I'd, I'd say that is just you know identify what you're going to talk about and like any business, I mean like my 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 gym, we're good at making people strong. That's what we do. I don't pretend to be anything different. You know, so find your niche and own it. So, yeah, that's a, that's what I do. But. That makes sense. And, and you know, I think this goes back to some of the early days when we were doing a lot of writing and you were doing a lot of forum mm-hmm. uh, management and whatnot, like on T Nation and some. You know, that's yep. a big site, and yeah. um, there is definitely a niche of people who are. They're a little bit science nerd. I mean, they're interested in the connection between knowledge and and performance. You know, mm-hmm. like if I learn yeah. more about what's happening in the new science news or this and that or how to eat or lifting training, I'll be better. So there's quite a yeah. few egghead slash meatheads out there. Um, I don't think we're probably going to grow uncon- you know, unconditionally, eternally in a linear way. We have, in a lot of ways... We have a roughly 25,000 to 30,000 listeners, uh, downloads, that is, a month. Some of it's the same people downloading a lot of stuff, but we're not going to be that big. Uh, so it's too niche, right? Like we do not have – we're not general fitness. It's always going to be about muscle and strength sports and the ones who – they're not just meatheads. I mean there's definitely that kind of segment out there that they don't give a damn about science and you know they're just about – I don't know um, – Drinking beer and lifting weights, or who knows what, you know, just kind of the, you know, whatever. That's probably, they're going to be bored with about half of our content, you know? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there's definitely that niche of the um, brainy lifter, if you will. So, so that brings you up, Mike. Um, What about you? Benefits, pros, and cons of of podcasting in general? Uh, For me, I think the. The main benefit now is just like you guys were saying is time. You know, if I, you know, because and all you guys get the same thing, you know, be on this podcast, we want a guest article from you, we want all this stuff, and I love doing all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. But I also have to be realistic that I do this for a living and this is what my business is to keep the lights on and everything else too. So for me to write an article for a site that I don't even know if it's going to get posted, um, that's a lot of time and a lot of commitment. Like we were talking earlier, especially if you have references. You know, if I'm stating something, I feel like I should have some supportive stuff there. Not saying I have to have 400 references or reference it like a, a piece of scientific literature, but there should be you know something that it's based on. And doing that kind of stuff, man, that's a that's a long process. It is. Where a podcast, where I know, you know, I can be on a show and I know about what they're their reach is, and if it's a topic I'm already familiar with, otherwise I probably wouldn't do it anyway. Um, I I very rarely do any prep for it. Um, you know, it's like, hey, send me an outline. You know, make sure it's legit, all that kind of stuff. I can schedule you know hour of my time, still an hour of your time, but do it, get it out, and it's done. Can reach a lot of people. It's a different format versus if I'm writing an article, man, I'm I'm doing an article on. Uh, cannabinoids and uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, 
And I've spent 20 plus hours just writing the darn article, much less all the research I had to go read for it because it's a newer topic for me. So stuff like that can be incredibly time consuming, especially if you're not really sure where the article is going to end up either. Yeah, it's almost like what I was saying with too much time on the high production values, you know, with lots yeah. of editing and overlays on videos and, and all these other things. It's On your side, that's almost more noble, but you're right. I would spend more time creating, going to find the reference list, frankly, of studies that I already knew. I mean, yeah. the fact <laughs> that I was giving was true. I guarantee it. But I, I felt obligated to go do the bookkeeping and yeah, provide 20 or 30 references to an article yeah, and again, uh, time is a resource, and that's where people – it's like, again, when they start a workout, they, they're real motivated. They go in every single day and burn out, and that's what podcasts do. Instead, we're like, no, we have enough knowledge base, and like to Phil's point, we have enough variety in who we are that we, we're going to bring different things about sports nutrition and strength and, and, and competitions and science. you know. And so even the, the hosts are varied. That was a good point. Um, yeah, and you know, like we said for for this one, you know, we don't do a whole lot of prep. I mean, I don't have five hours of prep to do it. It's kind of hey, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's the guest. Here's a couple things, and yeah, maybe go pull up a few studies or try to read a few things beforehand. But I'm not sitting around doing seven hours of prep for <laughs> for no, it every right. week. Yeah, as professors, you and I are naturally going to stumble. Like, I subscribe to a couple of different news, science news feeds, you know, like from Nature, from, I don't know, there's a lot of them out there, like Science Daily and Lab Roots, and there's a lot of good ones, and they just sort of, it propagates, you know, and uh, because we see that anyway, if I see something cool that's about strength or muscle mass or leanness, I'm like, click, print, (laughs) you know, and, or sometimes literally some of these newspapers, uh, that I've got, I'm looking at right now. A colleague might just say, "Oh, Lana, you're a nutritionist here. Check this out." You know, and that yeah. it just kind of accumulates because of who we are, uh, and that I would hope would save some of our listeners some time. They're not going to have to go pull these things and search for these things when we we're just going to talk about it because it drops in our lap. You know, yeah. you can have a bunch of I have a bunch of alerts set up on PubMed, so when new stuff gets published on a certain topic, it just sends me an email update too. So it's pretty easy to stay up to date on most stuff and like you said when you're doing the things we're doing you just naturally come across stuff i mean i've got more studies that i want to read than studies i've already read and yeah probably read a fair amount but there's just that's just the nature of the amount of data that's just being created on a daily basis yep all right i'm gonna i know we're kind of pushing the time here so and mike you and i are prone to go over (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, we're professors. We profess, right? We're going to talk yep. about some. A um, couple of tips. One, one nice thing about uh, podcasting is you can have a conversation. And conversations and storytelling. Uh, we had Dr. Danielle Cordero on months ago, um, just a buddy of mine. And uh, she's a writing professor and a multimedia, like journalism and writing and English professor. And uh, so that makes sense to me. And that's something Chris Shugart said years ago that stuck with me. Lonnie, tell a story. Don't just give a lecture, you know, and offer some pay dirt at the end, something somebody might try this week, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So there is a conversation element to it, which makes it much more digestible. That's sort of alluding to what you were saying, Mike. Um, I would reduce time stamping if you want to do something like this. Keep the content as evergreen as you can. 
Uh, we'll talk about spanking new studies, but if someone goes back and listens many years later and they're like, oh, that's from 2016. Now, some people won't give a damn. Some people will say, well, that's old. I don't care. You know, and you and I both know landmark studies. They, yeah. if, if it's good, it's good. It's still you know important, but it's not news. So I would reduce the amount of time stamping you do. Um, news and guests, to Phil's point about the variety, they can be so handy because it's ever, that is evergreen content, right? News is always going to be fresh. There's always there's like what fifteen hundred new studies on PubMed and the National Library of Medicine, uh, like daily. It's just ridiculous. There's always going to be something new that we can bring the muscle head slant to, you know, the strength or muscle mass kind of angle, uh, and sort of use and abuse that info. Uh, so news and then like the guests, you know, maybe every. We shoot for about every fourth episode to have a guest. Sometimes we go a longer stretch. Sometimes we do guests every episode for a little while. It depends on availability and whatnot, but guests keep things fresh too. So guests and news, you know, that's why we're still talking 10 years later, I think, with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and I have a lot of friends who do podcasts, and one of the things they've said is that having other guests is kind of a good way of, I don't really like the word networking, but... You know, you getting experience, you know, talking to other people also. Good point. And being put out as, you know, content. So I think they're from a pure business kind of development standpoint, that can be a definite plus too. Yeah. Assume you do it in a very professional manner and it actually goes out because I'm sure we've all done podcasts where you're pestering the person and it's so. I did one a while ago where there was a train going by, and like I couldn't even hear every fourth word. Oh yeah, but I can't. I can't use that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you can get uh, your interviewee on Skype, it's so much cleaner. Usually, yeah. You know, you got to set up your your mixing board and your you know your mic and all that kind of stuff um, to be as clean as possible. But there are going to be some people like uh, I think Eddie Combe was was like this. He's going to talk on the phone. You know, someone yeah. like Marty Gallagher is going to talk on the phone. Um, and phone quality is just isn't as good as Skype. Skype is so much cleaner if you could possibly do it that way. Um, oh, and I'll say one last thing. Um, ben was asking a few things about the, the mixing board and stuff. A lot of times I'll see podcasters. They get excited. They have these huge mixing boards. You don't need one. Like, I go to musiciansfriend.com. I'm not plugging them, but they have pretty good mics, some headsets. Um, I actually use a stand mic. Um, not unlike what you do, um, but my mixing board only has four inputs and outputs. It's only about the size of your your hand, really. Uh, you don't need one of these things that's the size of, I don't know, a, a, a billboard, you know, with all these buttons and knobs and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, this is a professional level one. Uh, it's got USB and analog, you know, connections and stuff like that. And sometimes I see podcasters, they have too many. I'm like, 99% of that mixing board uh, is not in use. <laughs> you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars. I think this, this thing is like, I don't know, 80 bucks or something. I think once upon a time, Phil got the same one. Um, but yeah, I mean, between Skype and a simple mixing board and a, a few software tweaks, I will say this. Um, if Windows ever auto updates on you and you want to do a podcast, beware. It's going to trash your audio settings if it's a major update, and then you're going to be swearing. These guys have heard me bitch for years about, oh my God, you know, Windows trashed my settings again. And then I got to go in software and hardware and tweak it, you know. But even phones are not bad, to be honest, these days. Um, if we can get someone with Skype on their cell phone, 
uh, you're going to get much higher quality so long as they're like in a Wi-Fi bubble somewhere. Um, so I, I'm I'm encouraging people, yeah, start podcasting, man. It's it's fun. It's niche. Where else are you going to get, you know, gen pop stuff is going to bore the hell out of most of us. So we always talk about, you know, the strength and muscle mass and nutrition stuff because that's that's our niche. So Yeah. And on the quality, I mean, how many conferences have we been at overseas or in Tokyo where you've just we've just done it off of your phone as a recording? Make yeah, make no that's mistake. The greatest, I mean, but it works. Um, I had an old iPhone 4 way longer than I should have. I used I I mean, I didn't even update. I think I used it for 6 years. You know, but I've got an iPhone 10 now. I mean, this is like an $1,100 oh, phone, you know. So, yeah, I mean, this thing costs as much as the as the, the big rig computer in my office, you know. And the audio quality is remarkable. We could literally, yeah, like you said, set it between us in a hotel room on a little desk or something. Um, and it's way better than phone quality. You know, it's remarkable what these things can do. So you can do quite a bit probably just from your phone, although I don't. Uh, I'm more comfortable looking at the big screen and the little audio waveform in my Sony software and all that. But, um, yeah, it, it, getting a guest on. In fact, when we had MC Powers on just last week, she was doing it on her Skype on her phone. And it's brilliant. I mean, it sounds just fine to me. So, so Yeah, so, and I've yeah. even gotten away using uh, one of the Yeti microphones. is like around 100 bucks, maybe less than that now. And you can put it on a setting where it's basically kind of directional from both sides. So I'll set the microphone up. I'll plug it into my Mac. Just run the standard GarageBand. I use just the record through there if it's a live in-person one. So if you've got a Mac and a hundred bucks, you could do a, a live recording with someone pretty easily. And like we've done, uh, Dr. Josh Cotter when I was out at Experimental Biology and a few other ones, and mm-hmm. that usually turns out really good too for not a lot of money. Right on. Yeah, and you know what? You don't even have to use Sony software like I'm using. Uh, Audacity is free. It's a free yeah. auto-editing tool, and you can see the layers. Like, There's all these tracks, and it's not that hard to overlap them with a little bit of music. At least have some pr- production value. I mean, you know, so. All right, well, there you go. Thank you, Ben. That that set us off a little bit, but I thought we yeah, could. that was a good question. That was awesome. It is, it is a good question. And plus, it, when we have Chris on, he's going to talk about the popularity of podcasting, why he's deciding to get into it, because I know on T Nation, they were so focused on video for so many years. Why are they kind of, um, and it just may be the innovation from Chris and Danny about, you know, listen, let's, let's get with the program, podcasting. You, you end up with rather loyal, you know, close-knit communities uh, and there's real advantages driving around in the car and that kind of stuff that you just can't do when everything's a YouTube video. So, All right. Uh, we'll call it a week, and we'll see everyone next time. See you. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for phil one for fortress and one for myself dr lowry and they're thematic so you can go into our halls of iron store and choose based on your goal if you need something to learn or read or something nutritional you can look in my store uh, lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. 
There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each haul of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.